Have you ever talked to somebody and they, in, in the course of your conversation, you're talking about God and they've just had a rough life or things have not gone well for them and, and, and they're kind of jaded on the whole God thing and they, they really are, I don't want to say anti, but they're, they're not fans. And they basically say, you know, God doesn't work. God just doesn't work. Maybe it's not a, an acquaintance or a friend of yours. Maybe it's been you. Maybe it's you now. Maybe you're at a place where you say, Brett, I'm, I'm coming to church, but I'm pretty much mailing it in. I'm not really convinced that, that, that the whole God thing actually works. And if you, you were to really be honest, we talked last week about the idea that, that people let us down, but you would come this morning and you would say, Brett, I'm going to be really honest with you. I think God has let me down. I, I, you know, I pray and, and I just get this sense that, that he's not listening to me. Or if he's listening, I get the sense that he's not there. And if he's not there, I get the sense that he's not listening to me. You, you may be asking yourself that same question. Does God really work? You, you've got a marriage that, that is a hard thing for you and it doesn't seem to be getting any better and you just feel like you're beating your head against the wall and you prayed and prayed and prayed and you say, man, does, does God work? Does he, does he listen at all? Is he paying attention? What's going on? You've got a, an addiction problem and you've prayed to God, take it away from me and you've done everything you can to overcome it and it's still is a, a problem for you it has been for years and you think man I'm never going to lick this thing and I don't think God is out there to help me and you feel like God's let you down or you just struggle you know just life just seems to be one curveball after another for you you can't seem to get on top of things and, and you, you pray your heart out only to think that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and coming right back down and you think that God has left you high and dry you look over your life you cross a bridge and you look back over the bridge and the only thing you can see in your whole life is disappointment now maybe that doesn't describe you I hope it doesn't I hope that's not what life is like for you in fact I hope that life is full of, of times when God shows himself to you mightily and, and that you are at a place where you understand that life is going to be uh, have its share of disappointments but you also know that God's there and you know that God's with you and God's taking care of things but that's not true for everybody some people cross the bridge and they look back and they say man all I see is disappointment and it looks like I did all that by myself maybe you're single and you want a mate so bad you can't stand it. And you have prayed and prayed, God, I'm trying to protect myself. I'm trying to be pure. I'm trying to be the kind of person that you want to send someone for me and have for the rest of my life that we can be together in you and just have a great marriage. And maybe you've prayed that prayer over and over and you're still single and you're starting to wonder, does God really hear my prayers? You feel like God is silent. And you're starting to ask yourself, does God really work? I would love to be able to tell you <clears throat> that I have a seven-step sermon this morning and that if you write down all seven steps and go out of here and do the seven things that I'm going to give you, that you're going to be just fine and God is going to work for you. I'd love to be able to do that for you. I'd love to be able to walk up and down the, the, the aisles and put my hands on you and pray for you and tell you God is going to show up in a huge way and, and God's not ever going to disappoint you again and you're never going to have these feelings again. I'd love to be able to do that. But what I find and what I believe to be true is that God is more a mystery than he is a mathematical equation. That there are parts to God and facets of his character and facets of his, his, his being that just we're not going to understand. And that there are going to be times when we go through life and things are going to happen and we're going to hold it up to him and, and we're not even going to really be able to see him because our problem looks so big. 
I know that's the case. I know that there are times when you get to where you just say, man, is God, are you there? And if you're there, are you listening to me? I can tell you this, God will never abandon you. Scripture is very clear about that. Hebrews chapter 13, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, no matter what it is, no matter how traumatic it is, or how painful, God is never going to leave or forsake you. Today, I want us to look at a very familiar story from the Old Testament. Now, if you are new to church, it just, if, you know, if, you, if you've grown up in church the way I have and the way many of you have, you don't have a, a point of reference for meeting someone who's never heard these old familiar stories, right? I mean, you just assume everybody's heard about Jonah and the whale and Noah and the ark and, and uh, Adam and Eve. You just assume that everybody's heard these stories. But the fact of the matter is, I talk to people all the time that have come to our church and they say, Brett, when you do some of these stories, I've never heard them before. So I can't just assume that you know the story of Joseph. Um, you know, maybe your only reference to, to Joseph is Joseph in the, the Technicolor dream coat. Or, you know, is that, am I saying that right? The, the musical, the Broadway musical? Uh, that's an adaptation. We're going to get to the original this morning. We're going to talk about Joseph, who was the youngest of 11 brothers. And his daddy loved him. I mean, his daddy really loved him, made him a special coat that you know about. And um, uh, he, he, he got showed kind of some special favoritism by his dad. And, and this guy had some special dreams. And, and he, you know, as he had these dreams, these dreams really made him look pretty good. And as he started to tell these to his brothers, his brothers, um, I guess the best way to put it is to say they were not impressed. They did not like Joseph's dreams. And to, to be real honest, they were sick of him. And, and they were sick of him telling them about their dreams. And, and so they conspired together that it's time for, for Joseph to be done away with. We're just going to get rid of him. And they talk about killing him. And then one of the brothers steps up and says, nah, we, you know, we probably shouldn't do that. So the plan was they were just going to well, they were going to kill him, but one brother was going to just have him thrown into a pit and then come back and help. Anyway, along comes this band of, they're out in the desert. He's out in the desert one day, Joseph is. He's, he comes up on his brothers, and his brothers jump him and beat him up, and they throw him into this cistern. So he's in the cistern, and as he's in the cistern, um, out in the desert passes this caravan, and in this caravan is um, a group of slave traders. So... <laughs> The other brothers decide that it'd be a great idea. Let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery, which is exactly what they do. So they sell him into slavery, and uh, he, is, he ends up in Egypt. He ends up at a slave market. Can you imagine being a, a young boy? And, and you know, Joseph, I'm, I'm saying, is somewhere in the neighborhood of between 16 and 18 or 19 years old. Um, I think the number that's really in my head is about 17. He's about 17. And he's in a slave market in Egypt, far away from his home. And he's, and he's missing his dad, and his brothers have sold him out. Uh, it's not going real good for Joseph. That would be kind of an understatement. He's at this slave market, and this very rich guy comes along. His name is Potiphar, and Potiphar buys Joseph and makes him his slave there in Egypt. And it doesn't take long for uh, Potiphar to see that Joseph is a unique boy. Joseph is very talented, um, has all kinds of potential. Uh, Potiphar latches onto this potential, and before long, Potiphar begins to, to promote Joseph, and it's one promotion after another after another, and, and Joseph's just doing great, and life's going good, and Potiphar just keeps promoting him, and all of a sudden, Joseph looks up, and he is living the life. 
I mean, Joseph looks up and he's got everything that he could possibly want. Everything is at his fingertips. Um, he is, you know, he's the Donald Trump of Egypt pretty much. You know, he's, he's, he's the whole gold-plated thing. I mean, he's just got everything. He's got everything that a guy could want. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Potiphar's wife has taken somewhat of an interest in young Joseph. And the Bible tells us that she spoke to him every day and found him very, very attractive. In fact, the Bible's very clear. Basically, what the Bible says is that, is that Joseph was, was a lot like Kyle Nelson, that he, you know, he was handsome and had a good body, pretty much, is, is what... Is he in the room? Is he in the room? I've been waiting all morning to do that. <clears throat> But she spoke to Joseph every day with the hopes of seducing him. Can you imagine being Joseph, this young kid? You're far away from home. Um, you're, you're alone. Life's been going pretty good for you, and you've been pretty much promoted to the place where you could be lulled into a sense of, well, I should just expect anything that I want. You know, I mean, I, I, it's all going my way, and, and here's this woman, and if I you know, want to do this, I, I, I can do this. And she's presenting herself to him every day in hopes of seducing him. But Joseph resists her. And basically the words that he says are, I'm not going to do this to God. So he, he resists her advances and uh, he pulls away to leave. And he leaves in such a hurry that when he leaves, she's still left holding part of his garment. The Bible calls it a cloak. And she's standing there with his cloak and Joseph is long gone. He's, he, has, he has fled the temptation, which is great counsel for anybody, flee the temptation, which is exactly what Joseph did. And she's standing there and she's holding this, this coat in her hands. And so she turns the story around and she goes to her husband and she says something to her servants and she basically says, that the words that she uses are, are, are these, Joseph came and tried to make sport of me. In other words, he tried to take advantage of me. He, he acted in a, in a very non-gentlemanly way toward me. Well, that's not the truth. That's not what happened, but that's what she tells her husband. Her husband, Potiphar, gets so upset by this that the Bible says that his anger burned toward Joseph. He has Joseph arrested and thrown into the king's dungeon. This is where the, the king's prisoners would have been, and that's where Joseph ends up. Now, you see all this happening in the life of Joseph, and you have to ask yourself, where is God? What, what's going on, and, and where do you find God in this whole story? The guy's committed to God. He's He's, he's obedient. He gets beat up by his brothers, he's sold into slavery, he's falsely accused, and he's thrown into prison. Where is God? That might be a question you would ask. Where is God? I mean, God, all I've ever tried to do, and I've had people come into my office and we've sat down, their life's been hard, and I've heard them say basically this to me in not so many words. Brett, I do the best I can. I live my life for Christ. I try to honor him in everything I do. And yet, sometimes I just feel like I'm getting kicked in the teeth. Where is he? It would be very easy for Joseph to have asked a question like that. In Genesis, the 39th chapter, we get the answer to the question. We learn where God is. Genesis 39, we're going to pick up at verse 21. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. So that's where God was. The Lord was with him in prison. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and was made responsible for all that was done there. 
The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Would you say that with me? The Lord was with Joseph. Say that with me. The Lord was with Joseph. Where was the Lord? The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success at whatever he did. Get this. God was present in Joseph's pain. See, we think that if God is with us, then certainly nothing bad would happen. We think that uh, problems and pain, we equate problems and pain with the absence of God. We don't consider for a minute that if we're going through problems and pain that God would be in the midst of that. We think, we equate that with the, the idea that God has abandoned us. That because God is no longer there, these are the things that happen to us when that's really not the case at all. At least this story shows it's not the case. The Lord was with Joseph. Or we think that, that if we're going through pain, then it's God's job to step in and stop that pain. How many times have you been going through something and you've basically said, Lord, stop this. Make, make this go away. Stop this from happening. If, if that's ever described you, a great book for you to read called Pain, The Problem Nobody Wants by Dr. Paul Brand. Highly recommend that book to you if you're in such circumstances. But here is, is what God does. God steps into the life of Joseph in the midst of his pain. And what he really does is he does not remove the pain, but he lifts Joseph up to a place uh, where he can see some things that are going on. He moves into the abandonment, into the false accusations, and into the imprisonment. And he doesn't remove the pain. He just picks Joseph up. And so the first thing that I would say to you today is that the Lord is present. God is present in your pain. And you're thinking, well, you know, I don't know that I, I buy that. Well, I hope that at the end of this you will. You see, I, I don't have any idea what some of you are going through this morning. I, I don't, I, your, your marriage might be in great shape, but it's possible that your marriage is, is really as low as it's been in a long time, and you're, you're crying out, and you feel no help. You're, you're going to work to a job that you can't stand, and every day you wake up, you, you practically beg God to take your life because you don't want to go into that place anymore. You have kids, and you are doing the best you can to raise your kids as Christians, and yet your kids are making decisions that you, you don't know even how where they're coming from to make decisions like that. You're single, and you're lonely, and you're crying out, and you feel pain, or you've been abused emotionally or physically or, or sexually, and God's just not seemed to be there for you. You feel abandonment. You're a student. You've got problems at school, and you feel like nobody can talk. You can talk to anybody about your problems. Or you've got financial stuff that, that you are so uh, buried by, and you dare not tell anybody because it's embarrassing. And so you just walk around all the time with this weight, and you're crying out to God, God, you've got to help me. And it just seems like God does not hear what you're saying. I don't know where you are this morning. I know this. I know that we live on a fallen planet. This place is cursed. We are going to experience disappointment and pain. That's just the way life is. Aren't you glad you got up and came to church this morning? <laughs> it gets better. God is with you in your pain. 
You're sitting here and you're asking the question, does God work? And you start to feel guilty for even asking the question because Christian people, we think, aren't supposed to ask those kind of questions. We're not supposed to ever really get honest and real and say, Lord, you know, I'm just going to be real blunt with you. I don't know where you are. And, you know, I don't, I'm one of these guys that is, it's, it's real easy. You talk to some Christians and it's all about the feeling, you know, they got to have the feeling and the, the stronger the feeling, the better the faith and that kind of thing. I'm not one of those kind of people, but, but you would say to yourself at some time, it just doesn't feel like you're with me, God. It just feels empty. So what happens next to Joseph? I would just remind you, Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. God is present in your pain. What happens to Joseph? He's in prison. The man, the head guy in Egypt is having dreams. And he's tried to get somebody to interpret these dreams and no one can interpret the dreams for him. And he's heard about this guy named Joseph who can interpret dreams. So he summons Joseph and Joseph comes and stands in front of the king and the king says, I hear you interpret dreams. Is this true? And Joseph's answer is very interesting. He says, I don't do that. But God can do it through me, and if you want to tell me what your dream is, I'll, I'll, we'll see what God has to say. So the king tells Joseph his dream, and the interpretation for his dream is this. Pretty much, Egypt, the greatest country in the world at the time, is going to have seven years of blessing and prosperity, followed immediately by seven years of famine, and, uh, and the ground's going to be cursed. And basically, Joseph says, you need to be ready for this. You're going to have this, this time of blessing, and then you're going to have this time of cursing, and you, you need to really be prepared and be ready for it. So after the interpretation, <laughs> the king puts Joseph in charge of this project to make sure that they're ready for the, the famine when it hits. And Joseph becomes one of the most powerful men in Egypt. The seven years of prosperity is over, Egypt is ready. Joseph has done a great job. He's stored things up, and they are, they're ready for the famine when it hits. <clears throat> the famine hits. People are hungry. There's no food anywhere. And so now people are starting to come to Joseph for food. One day, as he is overseeing all this, he looks up, and what he sees are faces that are very familiar to him. And he thinks to himself, I... I know that face. He looks behind him and he sees the next face. He says, I know that face. And then it hits him. These are my brothers. These are the guys that sold me out to slavery. Now, uh, this is, just as a side, I just want to pause just for a minute, just long enough to ask you this question. If that were you, in that very moment, how would you have responded just think to yourself, you know, what, what would I have done if that had been me? And 13 years earlier, my brothers have sold me into slavery, and now I'm the top dog, and all those dreams that I had as a young boy that I had where, where um, it looked like, basically the interpretation would have been, it looked like they're going to bow down to me, and now they're coming to me for food. What would your reaction have been? Just throw that out and let you think about it for a little bit. Joseph starts asking questions of his brothers. Do you have a dad? Yes, we, we have a dad. Do you have some brothers? Yes. How many? Well, we, we had 11. Okay, well, you had 11. What happened? Well, um, 
one of them died oh really one of them died how did he die well the wolves ate him oh that's the story that you're telling that's how it happened for me I was eaten by wolves I see okay well he couldn't handle the masquerade anymore so he calls these guys into his chambers and and they're just scared to death you can imagine uh, being called into this very powerful man's chambers you're, 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 you need food you've just come for food you have no idea who this guy is you certainly don't know this is your little brother that you sold into slavery and now this guy's brought you this very powerful man has brought you into his inner chamber and he's going to talk to you and they're scared to death and eventually he will look at his brothers and he will say I want you to know that it's me it's Joseph the brother that you almost killed and the brother that you sold into slavery 13 years ago crickets complete silence can you imagine being the brothers standing there in front of this very powerful man realizing this is the guy that you sold into slavery flash forward now in our story we go to Genesis chapter 50 verse 18 his brothers then came and threw themselves and I'm skipping a lot just because this is a long story his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him we are your slaves they said but Joseph said to them don't be afraid am I in the place of God you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives Joseph says get up don't bow to me everything that you intended for harm for me God has intended to be good God has intended to do something with it which brings me to the second thing I want you to understand this morning God has a purpose for your pain there is a purpose for your pain think about this if Joseph isn't abandoned by his brothers thrown into slavery put into prison he wouldn't have interpreted the king's dream he wouldn't have been made one of the most powerful men in Egypt he wouldn't have saved the nation of Egypt and he wouldn't have been able to save the lives of his own brothers who 13 years ago had sold him out there was a purpose there was a strategic plan for the life of Joseph there was a purpose in Joseph's pain and it was all orchestrated by God I, I want you to know that God has a purpose for your pain I know that's hard to hear it's really easy for someone to stand up on a Sunday morning in a church service and address your pain in, in such uh, disconnected ways but, but you, you have to know that God wants to take the things that are going on in your life and he wants to use them for your glory we're going to talk about that in a few minutes you say Brett I can't see it things are so bad I can't see I can't possibly imagine what the purpose would be for the pain that I'm going through Romans 8:28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose see here's what I want you to know when God created you he meant something he made you with a God-sized purpose and he's going to take your pain and he's going to take your suffering and he's going to take your trauma and he's going to turn it around for good and you say Brett I don't see it let me just tell you you may never see it see we especially in America we live such entitled lives we think that our right to know supersedes our right to exist 
We think that we should know everything, that, that it should be full disclosure. And God, if you're up to something, you should really let me in on it. I need to know what's going on. And when I'm going through pain, God, I don't care what the purpose is. You owe it to me. You should have to tell me what's going on. You might never see the purpose for the pain that you go through. And then you might. That's really up to God to decide whether or not you need to know whether or not you can handle it what he's trying to do grow you in terms of faith what kind of things he's setting you up for so that you can really stand and deliver for him in crunch time when it's really really important who knows what the purpose is the the job that you have is to cling to this idea that there is a purpose in it and that you've got to be faithful in that process i heard a story one time about a, a mother who was working on a cross stitch piece and she was standing up and she was working on this cross stitch thing and her her daughter who was you know knee high walked up and was looking up at her mother and she looked at the thing that she was working on and she said mom that's ugly and it offended the mother you know she'd been working on this thing for a while and from her vantage point it didn't look ugly to her and so she got ready to scold her daughter and say, no, this, you, don't, you don't walk up to someone and tell them that something they've invested so much time in is ugly. That's not nice. And she got ready to do that. And just as, as she was getting ready to do that, she, it hit her what the vantage point was for this little girl. What the little girl could see was the backside of the cross stitch. I don't know if you've ever turned cross stitch over and seen what's on the back, but it, it's not real pretty. That's, that's where all the strings are and, and all kinds of, some people are neater at that than others, but it generally is not going to look as good as the front. And then she realized, well, that's the only vantage point she's got. So she knelt down next to her daughter and she let her see the top side of the, of the cross stitch, at which point the daughter said, oh, mommy, that's pretty. Now, the question is whether or not God is ever going to kneel down and let you see the front side of the cross stitch. That's the question. It's highly possible that all you will ever see is the back side of the cross stitch. But what you need to know is that there is a front side, and the front side is beautiful, and it has a purpose, and it has a plan. You may never be clued in. You may never be brought in. God may never see fit to let you know what's going on behind the scenes. The question is, do you trust him enough to say, I don't need to know? God, if you're, if you're up to something, I don't need to know what it is. I will trust you. You see, God's priority and my priority and your priority, they're different. Because here's what I know about God, and I, I just came to this understanding a couple of years ago, and when I did, it was like a light bulb went off. But here's what I know about God. God is after his glory period above everything else god is after his glory and and he does not have one wit's worth of trouble with my death or my pain if he gets glory now you hear that and you say what's well, awfully selfish of god to be that way listen he made us he made perfection it was beautiful in the garden and we ruined it but at the very beginning he made perfection he can do whatever he wants to do and if he wants glory, he's entitled to that glory. And so if God thinks that he's going to get glory out of my demise or even my death, I, I really believe that, that God's got no trouble with that at all. Our priority is generally not our demise. Our priority is our protection. Our priority is generally not God's glory. 
which is why we don't oftentimes see our pain in the right light. But if we can start to look for the glory of God, that's why a lot of times when I go to the hospital, almost every time I go to the hospital, and I've walked into some dire situations, and, and they look at me and, you know, it's like, Brett, pray. Okay, let's pray. You know how those prayers start? Lord, before I would ask you for anything, I just want you to know that we love you. Before we would ask you to heal anybody, before we'd ask you to touch anybody, we would just proclaim in this moment and in this hour that we worship you, that you are great and greatly to be praised, and that you are sovereign God, and we trust you no matter what. And if you decide today that this person will not be healed, that will be okay with us. Lord, our desires are that this person would walk out of this hospital whole and healthy. That's how those prayers go oftentimes. That, that is mature praying. It's hard to pray that way when you're going through stuff. It's hard to pray that way when you're disappointed. It's hard to pray that way when you feel like God has let you down. But you know what? Anybody can praise God when the sun is shining and things are great. Anybody can do that. It takes a mature believer, it takes a strong Christian to be able to look at God when things are not going well and say, Lord, I trust you in the midst of this. I don't understand it. I'd love to know what's going on, and I wish you'd come clean with me. But if you decide never to do that, I'm going to trust you to know what's best for me. And I trust you to have a purpose in my pain. I have a video that I want you to see at the end of the service here, and uh, then we'll call the band up. But, but this, is, uh, I, this is worth seeing. I wanted to show it to you. Um, in 1988 and my family and I were traveling to Atlanta, Georgia to visit grandparents and I was laying down on the van not buckled in talking to my sister who was a passenger seat and my aunt laying down talking and my mom said honey you know we never travel head first you need to turn around in case there's an accident we never travel head first Less than three minutes, we had a head-on collision with a drunk driver going the wrong way on the interstate. He had entered on the exit ramp and hit our van head-on. At that moment, it all seemed like a dream. I just heard screaming and, and tire screeching, and then there was this huge crash, and I passed out. From then, they had to take me into surgery to see if there was any artery damage and or just see if that was the extent of it. That was the first of nine surgeries of them coming back and saying, I'm sorry, the blood supply was cut off at your kneecap. We're trying to get it back going, but your foot and your ankle are starting to die. Rich Mullins' song, Our God is an Awesome God, had just come out on the radio, and it was playing as I fell asleep, and I just felt this overwhelming peace come over me that this everything was going to be okay. Whatever it was, it was going to be okay. And I woke up from the nap and I said, Mom, it's it. I want to have an amputation. I want them to amputate my right leg so I can get on with my life. I had this overwhelming peace that only you can explain through God that this was the right choice. And I remember being pretty doped up all weekend. And then Monday morning, it was time to go to surgery. And the guy who came down to wheel me out to surgery had forgot my paperwork. All my family was laying around in the hospital room just kind of waiting. It was a very, very awkward moment. He forgot the paperwork, which stalled it a little bit longer. So in the quietness, my mom flipped on the radio to break the silence, and they, they were playing the song, Our God is an Awesome God by Rich Mullins, and I knew from that time on that God was going to be with me through this journey, whether 
there were tears, whether there was pain, whether there was joy, whatever, but I knew that this was the right decision. As I'm sitting here today, if I could go back till I was 16 and maybe we would have taken a detour or gone a different highway, I wouldn't choose it any different. I am thankful that the situation that I'm in or my physical situation has allowed me to share Christ in a little... It was close to the end. She basically says she, she would be okay with the way things are. I wonder this morning. <clears throat> see, and I know. I know, it's, I know right now somebody's sitting in, in the service and they're mad. And they think, man, you just, you just kind of glossed over my whole thing. And you're trying to make it easy and you're trying to make it insignificant. And you're trying to make it not that big a deal. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is to help you see that there is a big God who is right in the middle of whatever it is that you're going through, and he has not left you. You may feel like it. You may think he's not hearing your prayers, but he is doing things in the midst of it. Listen, I have been through things in my life that when I look back, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go through those things again to save my life, but I have learned things as I've gone through them that have strengthened me, that have made me a better leader and a better believer. And I wouldn't trade the lessons that I've learned. And I've said this many times from this stage. The life lessons that I have learned that have stuck with me for, for my, the, the duration of my life are, are lessons that I learned not with a smile on my face. I learned them frowning. I learned them through tears. I learned them through hardship and pain and suffering. And God is going to take whatever it is that you've got, whatever it is that you're enduring right now, whatever it is that you're going through, and he is going to give purpose to it, and he's going to do something uh, miraculous and amazing with it, something that only God can do. And he may clue you in, and he may not. But you just have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Now, if you're not a believer, I'm just here to tell you that, that when you come to Christ, if you would come to Christ, it does not mean that your problems are going to go away. In fact, your problems may intensify. Because right now at work, you don't have any problems related to your faith because that's really not an issue for you. But what happens if you come to Jesus and all of a sudden start living your life like a Christian? That could create problems for you at work. So I'm not going to tell you that coming to Christ is going to solve all your problems. What I will tell you is this. You come to Christ, you will have a perspective on your problems that you've never had. And you will have a friend to walk through you, walk with you through those problems that you've never had you won't always understand you won't always have a smile on your face but you will have a friend who sticks closer than a brother God is in your pain and he has a purpose for it let's pray together God sermons like this one are, are they can touch a nerve sometimes because I don't know what people are going through all the time and I, I know that there are things in this room this morning that people are struggling with and I've just given a voice to what they think and Lord it's possible that all I've done this morning is make somebody mad at me or at you Father I pray that as they spend some time with these thoughts and I pray that as they pray one more time to you that you would be able to in some way speak to them help them to know that A it's okay to be disappointed with you that you understand it 
that you know that we don't have the same vision and the same clarity that you have. And then beyond that, Lord, convince them, help them to know that you are right in the middle of whatever it is that they're going through. Father, we do love you. We don't always understand, and we might ask a thousand questions. But Lord, I pray that the Cross Lane Community Church, in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our problems, would always know that you are sovereign, you are holy, and you are greatly to be praised. And so, Lord, right now, problems and all, we would lift our hands to you and we would worship you because you are great and holy and righteous and awesome. It's in Jesus' name we pray.